welcome to the Easel Studio Podcasts. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast live from the International Liver Congress 2022. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Good evening at the Easel Studio Tea Time. Uh, my name is Ulrich Boyers. I'm a, a hepatologist, a head of hepatology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers, and I will uh, moderate this uh, Studio Tea Time together with uh, Saskia van Mill. Saskia van Mill is a professor and head of uh, the Center of Molecular uh, Medicine, <laughs> Chemistry. Um, at the University of Utrecht, also from the Netherlands. And we have two um, guests, and I'm very happy to, to introduce Professor Nora Tiro from Los Angeles, uh, uh, also a pathologist, gastroenterologist, and Professor Matthias Heikenwalder, and he's from the German Cancer Center, uh, head of department there. Um, we will shortly summarize the highlights of today. We had uh, uh, in the morning the research think tanks. It's, it goes too far when we speak about the research think tanks. I was very stimulated by my research think tank of immune-mediated liver diseases, but we go over that now at this moment. And uh, if everybody agrees, we will start with a postgraduate course. We had three sessions of the postgraduate course, and uh, uh, Professor Noah Terreau is uh, uh, one of the chairs of, the, uh, of this course this year, and we are very happy that he took over the responsibility for that. And maybe I can ask before we, before we go into detail a little bit, um, what was your general impression about, from, of today, of the course? Well, I'm very, very excited about today. I thought it was really, everything went very well, and the speakers were really, not surprisingly, delivered very high-quality talks, so I thought it was fabulous. And I think our focus for this was on kind of innovations and future look, like an immediate future look at clinical hepatology. And I think in all three of the sessions, they really delivered in that way. Yeah. And, and when we got questions from the audience, they were very much aligned with that. Like, okay, now learning all this, how should I apply this tomorrow in my clinic? So I thought that it was sort of spot on in terms of really um, reaching the goals of, of, the, of the course in terms of what we saw today. Yeah, I completely agree. I had the same impression. I also was in the course and, and uh, yeah, as educational counselor, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, one of the organizers together with you. Um, um, let's start with number one, with session number one. That was uh, innovations in radiology, endoscopy and uh, robotic surgery. Um, yes. Could you take out highlights for you? Well, I, I, I think each talk I, I went away thinking, okay, now I have to change the way I'm thinking about it in my practice. But I, I think the one that first and fo fo foremost for me was the endoscopy. Yeah. Because, you know, we're gastroenterologists, so we do endoscopy, but this was a whole nother level of endoscopy, this, yes. you know, endohepatology, really showing us the immediate promise of really taking on much more that we can do endoscopically. You know, we can measure portal pressures, we can put in tips, we can take a liver biopsy, all of that kind of coming under our umbrella where that previously lied with interventional radiologists or others. 
Um, so for me, that was very, very exciting. I think as a, as a, whenever you think of divisions of gastroenterology and hepatology, this is a way to partner either with our advanced endoscopists or moreover, maybe this is the new way for hepatologists to yeah. be trained. Yeah, I, I completely agree because uh, also my fe our fellows in, in uh, our fellows and our uh, younger hepatologists, uh, uh, several of them, they are very interested because they are trained as endoscopists also uh, uh, to, right. to have the hepato uh, endoscopy uh, to do all these uh, uh, um, mm -hmm. interventions. And what Professor Wim Lalemann said, it's all in one package. That's right. the future. So, so yeah. giving proper fault to the patients, uh, doing the EUS, the endoscopic ultrasound, uh, uh, doing the, the measurements for flow and, and pressure, mm -hmm. and then taking a large liver biopsy. And the patient uh, becomes uh, uh, awakened after an hour and, and goes home. Uh, yeah, so I remarkable. was impressed about that. It was. And, yeah. and they actually highlighted that the biopsy quality is actually better than yeah. percutaneous, which I was quite surprised about. I didn't realize they do three passes, which is, you know, so they have a lot of tissue. So they, they really make this point that they're getting high quality material for a liver biopsy. Patients are happier because they're sedated and they're out and they go home quickly. So like, I can just sort of see that this is going to very rapidly, I think, move towards yeah. something that might become our standard of care. Yeah. I think in five years from now, our young hepatologists, they will do these things. Yeah. I hope so. Agreed, <laughs> so, agreed. Because I'm also, <laughs> I was endoscopist also, yeah. so I did the whole training. And, 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 and It's the same in the U.S. Everybody's trained first as a gastroenterologist, yeah. then they become a hepatologist. So yeah. I think it's just a really, this is a, something we can look forward to, I think. A moment for tips? Because I was amazed about this, this uh, talk uh, um, from Chicago, uh, Riyadh Salem. Um, uh, who showed us what you all can do with tips. It was, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I went away thinking there is no thrombosis, portal vein thrombosis, that can't be yeah. fixed. You know, from the point of view of placing a tips and establishing flow is really remarkable. Um, you know, I'm aware of that group from Northwestern. They're very skilled and they've been publishing in that space for quite a while. But I, I think he really made very compelling story around the idea that yeah. it's important to actually to improve portal flow, right? I think in the past when there's been a portal vein thrombosis, like, okay, we've got that complication, we have cavity enough transformation, we're just going to have to deal with the portal hypertensive yes. complications, right? Mm -hmm. and I think he makes the point that we don't have to. We should be thinking about how do we establish flow. He emphasized his splenic approach as being one of the key kind of steps that allowed them to become much more aggressive about their tips placement, but it was an impressive talk, I thought. Impressive. Highly skilled. Yeah. This, this cannot be done in every, every right. center. This is highly skilled wow. center in Chicago. But I remember the, the, his sentence, there is no more untipsable <laughs> patient. So I, I remember that one. So this will also create new, new visions for the future. I agree. Yeah. Um, Maybe for the robotic surgery, I may add, yeah. um, um, uh, Dr. Heimwald or Professor Heimbach uh, um, uh, from, from the Mayo uh, gave us a summary and, and also a view into the future. And, and uh, she discussed uh, robotic surgery um, uh, for patients f uh, for liver resections. And this isn't certainly also counts for, for donations. So, so when, you, when you give your child or, or mm -hmm. uh, a, a part of your liver, Probably in five years from now, we will have robotic surgery, and you give several segments of your liver and a small scar, and, and, and you go home very fast, and the, and the complication rates are low. So I thought this was also impressive for me from the first part. 
I, I agree, and, and you know, there's still a, a, in many countries, living donation is a very important option, especially for the pediatric population, right, where left lobe uh, yeah. donation is the key. So uh, this may promote maybe um, more centers to be able to offer that as well. So again, uh, I think an important innovation that we could see would maybe advance the field, yeah. both resections, but especially donation. I think that's actually yeah. a really key area. I, I was also of the donation. Yeah. I, was, I was impressed uh, for, for that future. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. agreed. Part two, uh, Part two. liver support and regeneration. Well, I have to say, I have a quote here because I actually was, I thought, I thought the session was, it's a little bit more forward looking, right? Yeah. Unlike the session we just talked about where like we go home tomorrow and we can think about how we might think about bringing some of this into our center, for yes. example, right? This was a little bit more like looking, they said five to even 10 years ten away, years. right? Mm -hmm. But still important for us. Um, you know, I'm a transplant hepatologist you realize there's never enough organs for the number of individuals that yeah. have liver failure. So we clearly have to have some other approach. And so there, the work around regeneration, the work around alternative, the liver support talk I thought was, was probably the one that's closest for us to think about. Mm -hmm. And how do we sort of enhance how we're doing with liver support? But it was really this future of really being able to do a hepatocyte transplant and and, and how do we have better regeneration of livers that are being resected? Those were kind of the areas that I, I think very exciting, but a little bit more like we're earlier on and it's gonna take some years yet. Yeah, it's for the studio maybe too, too much into detail. One yes. has to listen to such a talk and, and to see then the steps we still have to go. For the moment, uh, uh, not so much change when we go back from, from easel Correct. Uh, home. But they're, they're very but inspiring though. And, yeah, and, and really, I, I think, I, you know, it's not an area that I, I'm, I had been so aware of some of the very new developments, especially around the different types of, um, you know, building, building hepatocytes, building, you know, the, the vehicles to deliver hepatocytes. It was actually a great talk. Yeah, the different types of stem cells. And, yeah. and what I also learned, uh, we have d different types of stem cells and, and uh, what is Samplatsiotis, uh, gave an impressive yeah. talk about yeah. what they are all doing, but we don't have the one stem cell we type which we can use. They all have their pros and cons, and he, he I think he explained that very well. So, so I think we did are a very nice there. balance, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. You know, giving us like, some hope, but still yeah. pretty cautious, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, to the third part, frontiers in biomarkers. Uh, um, we heard, I think we heard an excellent introduction uh, 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 lecture from Pierre-Emmanuel Ratou. Comment on that? I, I agree. I, well, I chaired that session, so I very much yeah. enjoyed it. And this is where I could really see that the audience was so engaged as well. But I thought it, I thought it gave an outstanding talk. And it's such a topical area, right? Yeah. Um, and I think helped to lay the groundwork for not only what we're very comfortable now with in terms of using transelastography and and platelet count, for example, but he took us beyond that about what's really um, very quickly coming that we're already yeah. starting to incorporate into our kind of algorithms for identifying individuals with both cirrhosis and clinically significant portal hypertension. He did a very, very nice job yeah. highlighting. I hadn't, for example, heard about like actually calculating a liver nodularity on a CT scan and coming up with a score, right? That was very interesting. That was very I, interesting, I have, I have, right? I've noted it here because yeah. I didn't know it. Uh, I, have to, I have to admit that, yeah. that, that I also was not aware of that yeah. one, that it has really a prognostic value and, 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 yeah. and you, can, you can 
do this score with, with, with a normal CT. So yeah, I think he took us from what are the kind of very core things that we all have access to, but then giving us, you know, taking us to microbiome and polygenic scores yeah. and really kind of going to the future and the near future, though, where we're going to be able to incorporate these into yeah. our, our prognostic models. But I think one of the interesting things that sort of stuck out, and I kind of asked them the question, with all of our current algorithms sort of leave out the obese NASH patient, <laughs> you know, we don't really know how to, to actually get accurate information about that patient and do they have clinically significant portal hypertension? That's a gap in the field. And maybe not so much in Europe where you don't have so many obese patients with NASH, but in, in many countries, this those go true. hand in hand. Yeah. And we need to have, I think that's an area where there's a gap still and we need yeah. more work to be done. Yeah. They are a selective group and, and all the prognostic markers we have for all other types right. of patients with cirrhosis, uh, it doesn't fit uh, right. completely on this group. This is, this is true and we have yeah. to remember that. Otherwise, I think the progress is so fast. So, so when you look at the Baveno criteria, seven in comparison to six, uh, which just came out, and, and, and there is so much happening, and, and I think we learn a lot within a short time. And we have to keep, keep uh, 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 informed, because uh, it changes so fast uh, uh, with the recommendations also. And really helping us to really do much better prognostication, risk stratification in our cirrhotics, yes. right? It used to be just compensated, decompensated. Yes. Now we're really much more refined, which yeah. I think was highlighted very nicely by Much more differentiated, and we need that for, for our decision-making uh, uh, for the next months and, and the next year and the next two years. So, Agreed. So. Agreed. For the moment, uh, yes. other points you would... No, uh, I, I, I thought... Um, well, we also had one on MELD and sort of all, yeah. which was, a, was an excellent talk. I have to say the most interesting aspect of that talk, I'll just highlight, was MELD 3.0, which yeah. has gained a lot of sort of traction, at least in the United States, incorporates albumin. And now there's a lot of focus on use of albumin and sort of managing complications. And that whole, how do we make that, how do we figure that out? It's a, it's, it's a problem it's, it's for a clinical problem. practice because right. many of these patients get albumin uh, uh, for, for, for real defi defined indications. So, so, so I, I think that was I, highlighted. I think, you know, Dr. Verna highlighted that that is yeah. an issue and that yeah. may mean that we've got to go back to MEL 4.0. Maybe something else will have to yeah. evolve really to kind of be better reflective of, of kind of the practice. But it did fixed the problem of the sex disparity, which yeah. was a very big thing um, in terms of that uh, limitation. Anyway, I, I thought it was excellent. Me too. <laughs> thanks for the moment. Thank you. I turn over to you. Yep. Okay, and thanks. <laughs> because in parallel, we also, uh, next to the postgraduate uh, uh, course, we also have the basic science uh, seminar running for two days. And this year, uh, it was on uh, emerging, uh, emerging concepts uh, in, meta in metabolism, uh, both uh, in health and, uh, and uh, disease. Uh, and uh, we asked uh, three people to organize it uh, this year. And these are uh, Stan van der Graaf, uh, Miriam Ouadi, and uh, Matthias uh, Heikenwalder. Uh, so thank you very much for the organization. It's quite a lot of work. Um, how are you feeling uh, today, after one day? It was a lot of fun, and I was amazed by the active discussion. So we really encouraged people to stand up and talk. So we even really tried to give and devote time for discussions. Um, 
discussing novel concepts and um, I have to say even as you have seen it um, at six o'clock people were queuing after the talks and even after the sessions to interrogate the, the speakers. So I think this is how a meeting should be about that the people who are there and it was pretty full are motivated, are full of energy and you know they really are passionate about what's going to be talked about and that was really the case. So I'm pretty um, satisfied because as you said there is some work um, behind it and um, we had also two speakers from the US who were somehow um, online connected and you know that was not so easy um, as you have seen to begin with but you know then everything worked out fine and we were really happy that today it was interactive it was very positive yeah, I also really like the yeah. format that uh, the first the PI or the boss is uh, speaking for 10 minutes and then the, the younger fellow uh, yeah. I think uh, addresses the more try to give the young people a, a stage to talk in front of a bigger crowd. I mean, including the, um, the, the, the audience that is online, I think there are more than like 1,500 people at least um, watching. And for younger folks um, who just are in the postdoc phase or just try to start to become an assistant professor, this is also something to present yourself, generate outreach, and of course generate outreach with the quality of your research. And um, I think we've had selected really stunning speakers, I mean really the top-notch people in the world, Gerald Schumann, Randy Kaufmann, um, top-notch immunologists from Germany, from the United States, um, Adam Rose from Nash, uh, on, working on Nash from Monash University in Australia. So really the best, the best people, so the, the best of the best. Yeah. So I was happy that they were all there, nobody was sick and you know, so you never know these days. No, you did, did a great job. Yeah. Uh, so Miriam uh, could uh, unfortunately not attend. So you're doing it, uh, the two of you. The two yes, of you. it's the duo infernal, <laughs> the two gentlemen. We not try to mess it up. I, I think with, um, with Miriam it would have been um, much more organized, but we do our <laughs> best, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. So far things went, went fine. Tomorrow the first session starts at 8 o'clock. So I try to motivate um, yeah. the audience to come. Talked about the coffee at 9.30, so if the coffee is excellent, most of the people hopefully will come. Yeah, if uh, you're uh, very late at the dinner, uh, I'll, uh, I'll send you home. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't need to sleep that much. We are <laughs> young and, and, and healthy. <laughs> okay, so now you also had uh, three sessions uh, yes. today. So to the first uh, session, what were really for you the emerging concepts? Well, so um, I think, you know, metabolism as such in, in the liver has been underestimated. Um, metabolites either coming from uh, hepatocytes or immune cells or even from mic the microbiome, right? I mean, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really impinging massively on the, on the mechanistic underpinnings in the liver. May this be um, what type of immune cells enter the liver? May this be how hepatocytes proliferate or don't proliferate, present antigens, and at the end of the day also how they respond to therapies. So we now know that, um, and we and others actually have published uh, a paper last year back to back in nature where we show that NASH in particular changes the response efficacy um, to immunotherapy and um, however um, it's also very nice to see that you know there is not one type of metabolism there is so many flavors when you look at patients so there will be also NASH patients that respond pretty well to particular type of immunotherapies um, Himalaya trial has shown it anti-CTL4 combination with anti-PDL1 works in some of the patients so why is that the case well because some of these patients apparently have T-cells that you can still tickle to induce tumor surveillance. So, so, um, so in general, but jumping into the first session, I think that people start to understand that metabolism is a new field of cell 
crosstalk that you know is is a new level that you know is 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 not really um, investigated in that detail and it changes the paradigms in how we think about how liver works also I think in the clinical practice it will change what type of metabolites will you use as markers to stratify patients for particular um, therapy responses or even you know for um, risk stratification per se so I think this will become really a big topic and in the first session um, I think there were for me two outstanding well, actually all the talks were outstanding but two talks I remember well that was the first talk from Gerald Schulman and um, also from um, his postdoc PhD Tracy where they really indicate you know the new mechanisms of glucagon insulin signaling and that actually addition of glucagon in combination with um, GLP-1 um, um, blockers will be something beneficial in terms of fatty liver disease so um, and I think this is also emerging from our um, sessions that the translational aspect really um, becomes more and more in to the center of, of the research of the people. So the people really ask themselves, you know, what do I research for and what is, where do I want to get? What is my mission? And I think this is very important. Of course, basic science should be excellence and basic science driven. But at the end of the day, um, publishing nature papers every now and then doesn't, and, and curing mice doesn't resolve issues in the clinics. So I am, you know, I, I think I'm one of the best um, mouse doctors to treat Nash, but um, it's only mice. So we really, uh, and, and you know, we are starting, uh, we have done a clinical trial already. And, and th this is what we have seen also in session number one. So I mean, Gerald Schulman, um, I think, you know, he is, is famous for, you know, um, reinventing the um, the signal mechanisms of insulin and glucagon. And you know, he has done this first on preclinic mouse models, but also working with patients. And there you see there is a, a mission going towards, at some stage, into the clinic, do compassionate use trials, and, and then go into the clinic. So that was really amazing, because what they have shown is that, um, we'll not go too much into detail, but that there are some transporters on the, on the membrane of the mitochondrium that change, actually, the calcium um, levels in the mitochondria, and that actually changes how actually a cell in the cytoplasm can degrade lipids. So, and you know, and, and, and you know, this is com completely against what has been thought about um, in the recent years. That you know, actually, the type of calcium influx um, shouldn't do that. What they have have shown. So that was really remarkable. Then, for me, a very nice talk was from Adam Rose. That was in the first session. He was um, working on amino transferases, uh, which you know we all use um, um, as as markers for liver damage. We sometimes criticize it, right? How exact is it? Well, he has shown actually that it perfectly correlates also with um, features of NASH, steatosis, and so on. So that was pretty cool. It was very nice um, to see. But interestingly, what he's has sh he has shown, he has shown a mechanistic function of these amino transferases in a different organ, in muscle, for example, and that there is crosstalk, and um, that uh, actually, it, and it's, about, it's all about alanine levels. So it's about amino acid levels then, of course, and these uh, amino transferases. And um, so that was really striking to see how um, by, you know, um, an enzyme that we use on a daily basis and you've never thought about it. what the heck is this thing doing actually in the liver, yeah? And so he knocked it out. He had knocked out, this is, um, there is uh, ALT1 and 2, and he knocked both out and 1, and then he has seen that there is one that is more important. In this particular case, it was ALT1. And... <clears throat> 
has really beautifully proven how actually this affects the crosstalk to the to the um, muscle tissue. And you know there will be also a lot of um, things involved, I'm sure, when it comes to pancreas or fat tissue. You know, we're just starting mm -hmm. to understand in a mouse model how the crosstalk is, the inter-organ crosstalk. And you know, in humans, this will be even much more interesting. I think it's completely underestimated. I give an example from our research ourselves. When you, you know, we do a lot of intermittent fasting um, in the context of NASH. And it, you know, the problem is intermittent fasting has a compliance issue when you go to patients, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting to look into what are the mechanistic underpinnings, what intermittent fasting does on a molecular level to a to immune cells and hepatocytes. And if you know the signaling, you can actually use it as an intervention to turn it on or turn it off and make the liver or make the body feel as if intermittent fasting has happened, but um, the patient readily was actually isocaloric, um, so to speak. And you know, and these are the things that I've seen today in the first sessions, really this, um, this, this uh, mission towards um, towards uh, clinical applications. And you know, for example, the interesting thing, inter-organ crosstalk, when you refed a mouse and you label glucose and you look where the glucose goes to, where do you think does it go to? It goes to the brain. It goes to the brain. So the majority of the glucose ends up in the brain. Yeah? In, yeah. The, in, the, in the refed state, yeah, where you would think, no, 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 glucose should go to the liver. Or, oh, yeah? but, but the brain lives from glucose. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the first thing that happens, yeah. the whole glucose goes into the brain. Leaks. So maybe when, you know, I have, I have some kids at home, so maybe when they're going to learn in the future, I first fast them. And in the refed state, we do the homework and the um, vocabulary tests and, and learning. So, so that was really interesting. And then there was the last talk in the first session that was pretty impressive and that was on the crosstalk between um, bile acid signaling, bile acid receptors and the crosstalk gastrointestinal tract uh, microbiota and where um, Stan van der Graaf has really shown that you could use a NTCP inhibitor, which by the way is used for HPV, HDV patients at the moment. Um, it's um, it's uh, an, an inhibitor, Myclobex, which has now a new name, and I know mm -hmm. Stefan very well because yes. he comes from Heidelberg. He's yes. just around the corner, and you all know that it was sold for a fortune. I think yeah. it was 1.5 billion to yes. Gilead. And um, he uses now this concept to treat actually diseases. So it's not about blocking an entry receptor for HDV, but actually to see how can I change bile acid signaling. So to intervene, FXR, TGR5 signaling. So that was impressive, and of course the link with the microbiome. And that's, I think, something that will, that will um, I think that's a, the, the start of a new era. And, you know, the, you know, I'm not the prophet to say this. They, they know it already since 10 years. I mean, there are publications on um, metabolites of microbiota of bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract that affect uh, immunotherapy responses of breast cancer patients. We are doing studies on intratumoral microbiota. So the microbiome in the tumor. So, uh, you know, and that must affect to some degree how we treat. So these are, uh, what, is, what was really cool about this first session, it made clear, similar maybe to what you have seen conceptually, that there are so many things. So we always believe we know everything. And then you, you, you go to such a meeting and you realize, oh my God, you know, that's, uh, it's, you, 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 be think, you think maybe this is a small locker room that you open and you, you, you go into the locker room, it's, it's, it's dark. And then you turn on the light and it's a huge hall where um, Boeing, um, Boeing airplanes stand in there and you just don't know where to begin with. And that was the first session. It was really stunning.
And then you are even missing out on another great talk from Catherine uh, Postich oh, yeah. about uh, oglacan glu Yeah, that was of course also where she generated um, really, uh, um, yeah, I think that was also fantastic. So yeah. as I said, you know, we could talk most likely hours about <laughs> all the sessions. Um, so that was the first session. The second session was on the link between immunometabolism and cancer. And there was a very nice talk by Jorge Moscat. He was talking on P62 signaling. P62 is a molecule that you see usually in Mallory Denk bodies. So it's actually this old, old, 25-year-old, um, 30-year-old metabolic and um, immunometabolic histopathology that pathologists use. It's these aggregates that you see in H&E that are dark purple. And this is just a, it's a, it's a sign of false ER stress and protein degradation. But what the Moscat group has shown is that these proteins also have a very important function in proto-oncogenic signaling and in modulating metabolism. And again, this shows you like a, a molecule that is named after pathologist who is still alive, Denk, and Mallory, I think, is already dead. And, um, you know, now it turns out that this molecule that they found in these aggregates, which people use to, you know, have a NAS6 or something like this to really define the histopathology of NASH, now we know that these molecules actually have a molecular function that, you know, you, you might use as a target for therapy. By the way, what also this second session has told me, there are many roads to Rome, but I'm not sure whether all the roads to Rome will lead to the final goal to get into the clinic. So I think we have to accept that, you know, we will come up with a lot of dreams of potential targets. But at the end of the day, there will be only, you know, a handful of targets that will really make it into the clinic. But that's um, what the basic science is yes. for, right? But you have so to, you have to yes. believe at you the end of the day, understand. you have to believe in it, right? You have yeah. to believe in it. And, you know, we have the same um, uh, mission and dream. And, you know, you have to see how far you can go. Ah, and you want to know how it works. Yes, and how it works. But I also want to know, and I think that's really what is changing in science, how it works in patients. And what is the, what is, um, can I twist the, can I make the efficacy better? Not at the cost of, um, you know, adverse effects in the patients. I think that's really, you know, where, we, where we're at. And, you know, at least this, what I'm talking about, will become a new era of, of research and a new era of clinical research, right? How can I make a drug better that I have as a, as a start, starting point without affecting the patient too much or even, you know, reducing adverse effects? So, that's, so that is, I think, that was in this cancer immunometabolism session really clear to see. There was a, a talk on P53 and how P53 tumor suppressor is actually also mediating metabolism and, um, you know, also super fantastic. You know, like we think about P53 as a, you know, you would, everybody would say, yeah, yeah, it's a tumor suppressor and it's just important for cancer. But we now know, I mean, there are many papers also in, in PDAC that playing around with tumor suppressors or oncogenes changes the microenvironment of the tumor in its own right. And, you know, again, complete metabolism, completely new concept, right? That you're according to what type, even of what type mutation in P53 you have, you might have a different flavor of metabolism in the liver. So that's, that's, uh, that was, you know, again, um, astonishing. And, um, and highlighting the role of uh, um, autophagy in uh, liver disease. Yes. And on that respect, I think it's uh, good to mention that also on Friday, there is the uh, Wilhelm Kupfer uh, lecture, basic science uh, lecture uh, from uh, Guido Krumer, yes. also on autophagy in uh, liver disease. Yes. Will be very, um, I think will also be another highlight. Yeah. And, and the, then third, the, the third, third session? session um, very yes, very <laughs> short. We make it short. Immunometabolism. Um, very, very um, interesting highlight was Nash is an autoaggressive disease. 
Tara. So um, <laughs> it's, an, uh, it's a disease that is triggered by CDA T cells that do not rec recognize antigens, but that are metabolically activated yeah. to kill, to kill every type of, of cell they see. And um, this metabolic activation generates a pro-inflammatory, pro-cancerous environment. And if you go in with immunotherapy, you stabilize these cells because they are PD-1 high. So these are CD8, PD-1 positive cells. So this was a highlight, I think, because it, ch again, changes yeah. how we look at NASH and um, how we look at treating this disease. So that was, for me, um, definitely a highlight. Another highlight was of our speaker from the US, Randy Kaufman, um, who uh, talked on an E-Astres molecule, ATF6 which is you know, one of many, but what is very interesting that usually you think um, these molecules should protect cells to, you know, to combat stress. That's what ER stress molecules are about. But the problem is in nature, nature has never generated a situation where you eat one chocolate after the other mm. and have an immense amount of kilocalories in a short time frame, right? So, um, so chronic stress has not been, has not been um, you know, thought about by nature. And he shows that if this ER stress, which in acute form is good for you, beneficial, is actually not good if you have it chronically um, turned on and it becomes pro-carcinogenic. So that was, um, I think, um, I would say another highlight. And the last highlight, last sentence, make it very short, was the analysis of single cells in the liver, immune cells um, in NASH. And, you know, the new technologies of single cell technology, may this be general, uh, single cell RNA-seq or spatial. You know, we, we now really go into spatial single cell transcriptomics. We do single cell metabolomics in situ. I think this will... Um, revolutionize um, um, to understand again, you know, uh, the heterogeneity that we have in the tissue. So, so you know, I'm, I'm fully exhausted. I, I, I need something <laughs> to eat and I also need something to drink tonight because um, not too much, of course, but I think it was really water. stunning. Water. Of course, uh, water still, um, <laughs> exactly. It was stunning and it, um, I think what was cool today is that, you know, we have really presented to the audience really what is at the forefront of the field. And there is still a lot more to come tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, 8 o'clock. So yeah. everybody, 8 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be there. Central nervous system we talk about and fibrosis and, and metabolism. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, great. Very I'm nice. very much uh, looking forward to that. Yes, me as well.